Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. What's up, guys? Welcome to City Church Online. Super excited that you're here. Hi, my name is Seth. Got a question for you. I had the opportunity to grill this last week, which I love doing. Let us know in the comments section what your favorite thing to grill is. If you're not a griller, let us know what you like to eat. The last couple weeks, Drake has been um, introducing us to the book of Colossians. We're in the series discussing a big Jesus for life's big problems. And he has done an excellent job of painting this picture as Paul, um, who is the author of Colossians, painting him as a master mechanic, helping us tune our car, you know, do alignment on the tires, check the brakes, rotate the wheels, so that down the road, when, when we're in the middle of our journey, we don't drift, stray from the path, or, or completely break down. This week, Paul is doing something a little bit different in that he is saying, before we go any further in this discussion of, of these things that you need to maintain, we got to get one thing straight. He's saying that in order for your car to move, doesn't matter what it looks like, what model you got, what year it is, it won't do anything without power. No car will work without power. And so Paul this week is giving us the ultimate fuel source for our lives. And let's be honest, you know, there, there are a lot of us out there that might be rolling in a beat up old Chevy Impala with a donut on the back wheel struggling to make it to the next stop. And I know that there are those of us out there too that might, man, be rolling in a really nice Ford or or a nice Honda Civic, or a Porsche, or a Tesla, or something, where you know your life feels great, looks great, it's bearable. You you don't really have to worry about going to the grocery store because it's just taken care of. Now, I want you to know that wherever you're at today, God loves you. We're grateful for you being here. I'm excited you're here. My goal today is just to get you a step closer from where you're at to meeting Jesus, and. You don't have to believe to belong to this community, but I want you to know that you're safe, loved, and welcomed here. So wherever you're at today, whether it's the beat-up Impala or the, or the Porsche 911 driving down the road, why, why change? Why, if everything is going good, it's bearable, it's decent, you can function and be happy, why change? Why shake up the dust? Paul's pointing out to us here that despite how nice our car may be, how nice our our lives may be, your vehicle cannot run without gas. And everyone knows, I believe everyone knows what it is like to be on empty or what it is like to have an alternative fuel source. See, how many of us out there are redliners? Like you let your tank hit that red line and go below it before you ever fill up. I'm guilty and I know a lot of my friends are too. So I'm taking this all down. Um, You know, that does terrible things to your engine. It actually shortens the lifespan of the car altogether. And then like, 
alternative fuel sources. Like I remember in college, uh, I was a part of a soccer team and we would travel for games and, and we would get this $10 meal credit and we would stop at McDonald's every time we traveled. Let me just tell you, it is incredibly hard to play a good game of soccer on a stomach full of McDonald's. I don't know if you can, you can feel that or not. Um, but we do this in our lives as well. Like we let work become an alternative fuel source to where we find fulfillment and peace. Or we let popularity and the, and the people around us lift us up and give us admiration for what we're doing to, to create the sense of, of love. Or, or something as simple as coffee or, or a single person or our families. They, are, they all give an illusion of premium quality gasoline. And at the end of the day, yeah, they're nice and they might fit let you feel loved and taken care of and fulfilled for a moment, but it's going to end. You know why we don't value the premium gas, the high dollar gas? Because you don't think it's worth it. We don't know the value that it can place on our lives. Man, when you put good gasoline in your car, man, it really does a lot for your engine. It cleans the pistons. It helps it run better. It it accelerates faster, prolongs the life. Paul's saying the same thing is true for your life where you're at today. That by taking in the premium fuel, he's going to talk to us about in a minute, is going to prolong your life. So if what you believe determines your behavior, you need to believe that the gas you are putting into your tank really does matter. And that's where Paul starts at today. He's saying, hey, I got a fuel source for you that is going to rock your world. And we're going to go to Colossians verse 1, starting in verse 15, and look at that together. Today's title of the message is A Big Jesus for Life's Big Problems. And so we're going to look at some aspects of Jesus, and Paul's going to show us how he is the ultimate fuel source for our lives. So verse 15, let's go there together. It says this, Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before creation and is supreme over all creation. Stop there for just a second. My first point is this. Jesus is the image of God. Now, I assume most of us probably woke up this morning, went to the bathroom, and looked in a mirror. Now, whether what you saw was satisfying or not, that mirror projected an accurate reflection of what you look like. In the same way, when we look at Jesus, he reflects an accurate projection of God's character. You see, when we want to know the character of God, we look to Jesus. When we're confused about philosophy or ideology or free will or love or acceptance or what it means to be in a family, we can begin with Jesus and start with Jesus and look at him. And when we do that, everything that can be known might be be known or must be known about God can be seen in and through the work and life of Jesus. Let's go back to the verse again, starting in verse 15. It says that he existed before creation and is supreme over all creation. My second point is this. Jesus is ruler over all creation. Here's what that means. When you're a ruler or supreme over something, you have authority over it. You come in first position over that thing or, or the people. In military, you have first rank. That first rank officer is over the subordinate. What Paul is telling us here, in order for our lives to be fulfilled, 
to have meaning and have purpose. When we put fuel in our tank, it needs to be Jesus, and Jesus needs to have access to our family, our work, our relationships, our finances, our habits, our identities. He needs to be in first position authority over everything in our life. Nothing gets straightened out until Jesus is in authority. Okay, let's go back to verse again, starting in 16. It says, for through him, God created everything. Then goes on to say, in the heavenly realms, areas that we cannot see, and on earth, everything that we can see. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, rulers, kingdoms, and authorities in the unseen world, and everything was created through him and for him. The third point is this. Jesus is creator of all. Now, God knows this, but I don't think oftentimes that we grasp onto this, that we love the gift of life and this world and everything that it has to offer. We can hike up a mountain and see for miles the beauty that God has made, but we don't know the giver. And just as much as we enjoy the gift, God wants us to also enjoy the gift giver. Let me tell you, if something is created, it belongs to the creator, it exists for the creator, and it is property of and will one day return to the creator. We were created for a purpose. We were created by God to be with him, to live for him, to have a relationship with him, and to one day return to him where we get to spend eternity in his presence. Man, God wants a relationship with you. And God is the creator of your life. Okay, let's go back again. Verse 17 says this. He existed before anything else. Jesus is eternal. We have a beginning and we will one day have an end. But God has no beginning and no end and his name is Jesus. So the good news for you and I is that he knows what lies beyond the grave, and we can trust him in the moment of our greatest need as we will one day exit this life and enter into an eternity where Jesus will be waiting for us as conqueror of death, hell, and the grave, like a good father with a home that he has promised you. And my friends, he has promised a home that is far beyond anything that we can imagine for anyone who chooses to just believe in the gift that he has given. We're going to go on to uh, the second half of verse 17, um, talking about Jesus as sustainer. It says that he holds all things together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning supreme over all who rise from the dead. We're going to stop there. Jesus is sustainer, number five. Not only does Jesus make this world, but he also sustains this world. Everything that God made is maintained by the hands of Jesus. You see, I have had, um, this is hard, I've had conversations with my friends and, and have asked them, you know, what are your thoughts on Jesus or what are your thoughts on God? And they throw back to me this uh, theory of deism, as it's called. And to quote um, Al Pacino, he says this, God made this world, but like an absentee landlord, he has abandoned it. And my friends will talk about how they see God like they see the father that walked out on them as a child, and he birthed them, left them, and abandoned them, and was never a part of their life after that. And they'll take this image of their father that they had and project it onto God and assume that God created this world, 
He left this world, abandoned it, and has nothing to do with it from then on. And so they say, man, I have, I have hard times, and, and God doesn't answer my prayers, and, and why do bad things happen to me and to other good people? And, and they'll come back and say, because God has abandoned us. Listen, this is not how the Bible talks about Jesus. It says that he sustains all that he creates. All of creation is held together by his hands. He is present and powerful, working in the world around us day in and day out. I know right now in this current situation that our culture is going through, just across the world, the pandemic, that it seems like everything we're going through is out of your hands. And, and it's stressful and it's hard and, and it causes turmoil. But listen, just because it's out of your hands does not mean that it is out of God's hands. If you will take what you cannot hold and put it into his hands, he will sustain it. And that goes for every area of your life, your marriage, your, your family, your work, your friendships. If any of these are falling or breaking apart or, or becoming too big that you can't hold it yourself, give it to Jesus. I have a good friend, and, and I love him to death, and he is a great example of somebody who has taken a belief about who God is and has applied it to their life and let it, let it seep out from them just the action of surrender. Um, Albert, a couple months ago, I don't, a lot of you know him, a lot of you don't, but you will one day, um, called a group of people together to pray for his niece. His niece was going through, and still is, going through some crazy medical conditions, and uh, he said, hey, I would like to acknowledge that I don't have the power to save her or heal her or, or do anything about her situation. But if you guys would pray with me that God would. And, and he took his niece out of his own hands and gave her to God. And, and it was encouraging to see because he would send us a verse one day and then say, hey, here's a verse. Could you read this and pray for her nurses? Hey, could you read this and pray for her doctor? Could you read this and pray for her mother? And I got to watch Albert give his niece to God day after day for, for an entire week saying, God, take this girl in here, heal her. God, I know that I can't do it in my own power, but I know that you can. God, please, please take this from me. Listen, God wants to hold the things in your life that cause you stress and turmoil. He wants to take care of those for you. But he is not going to take them from you you have to approach humbly and give them to him. You see, when we take things out of our hands and put it into the hands of Jesus, he will hold together what we cannot. When we let belief determine our behavior, we have to, let, we have to believe that God is someone big and strong enough and loves us enough to hold the areas of our lives that we like to hide or that hurt us or cause us turmoil. We have to believe that he is strong enough to hold those together when we can't. So let me ask you a question. What are you not trusting him with or who are you not trusting him with in your life right now? Let's go back, look at verse 18. It says that he is the beginning supreme over all who rise from the dead. Oh, I'm sorry. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. Point number six is this. Jesus is the head of the church. So this is, this is missed when anyone or anything rises above Jesus' will for the church. 
when they put themselves in a position that, that declares leadership over God's will. They let their convictions or their fear or their money or their preferences or even sometimes laziness be the driving force behind where a church goes. And let me tell you, if anything or, any, anything or anyone puts themselves as head of the church over Jesus, the people become malnourished. There, there becomes frustration and friction. Let me ask you this. Would you pray for Pastor Drake? Would you pray for the staff here at City Church? Drake is one of the most humble men I know that will say time after time that Jesus is the head of this church, that the people that come together are, are all part of moving the ship forward. We work in tandem with Jesus. We don't work over him. When Jesus is the head of the church and seeks God's will and what glorifies him, that is ultimately what is good for the church. Let's go back to verse 18 again. He is the beginning supreme over all who rise from the dead. Number seven is this, that Jesus is alive. I don't know if you've heard that before, but Jesus is not dead. He has risen. You see, there were some people back in the day that killed him and put him in the ground, and he rose from the dead. It said that he is supreme over all the dead. That is that he has authority over, first position over, he beats death. Death submits to Jesus. Now, I know that we oftentimes in our lives, we like to try and beat death. We use our sunscreen, we drink water, we drink kombucha, we wear our seatbelts, take vitamins, rub oils all over. We do whatever method we can to either prolong or beat death in our life. And I'm sorry to break it to you, but one day, you and I, we will both die. We will leave this earth, and we will leave it covered in sunscreen, filled with water and kombucha. But Jesus, Jesus beat death. He showed, he came back after he was dead and spent 40 days showing everyone around him that, hey, I have superiority over death. Death submits to me. He was proving that the declaration he made to be God was actually true, that he held the power over death. Let me tell you this, that Jesus promises a home and, and, and a life after this one, one that he has prepared. And when we enter into that place, there's not going to be any sickness. There's not going to be any hurt, any racism or bigotry or anger or bitterness. He said, I'm going to take all that away so we can live together in peace. And, and when that day comes, we're going to follow in suit behind Jesus as one who has authority over death, and he's going to give that to us so that we can live with him for eternity. I hope that you know that. You really believe it. I hope that you let the, the fuel in your life be fueled by a Jesus who wants to give you that kind of power and that show you that kind of love. We're going to look at verse 19 now. It says that for God and all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. This one is simple. Jesus is fully God. It says that in all his fullness, or in all his fullness, all is a lot, is, was pleased to live. To live means to dwell, to reside, to take home in. He was all of who God is, was pleased to dwell inside of Jesus. 
You see, a lot of times other religions will get it wrong. They'll say that we all have pretty much the same belief, the same goal. Let me tell you. We believe that Jesus is fully God and fully man. We believe that he is creator, sustainer, and deliverer. That it begins with Jesus and one day it will end with Jesus. And if you don't know him today as that, I hope that, man, he shows himself to you in a way he never has. Just a couple more. Let's go to verse 20. Verse 20 says, And through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything on earth by the means of Jesus' blood on the cross. First thing, blood on the cross is a weird term to hear. This is what you could call Bible language. But simply, it's a term the Bible uses to reference Jesus' sacrifice, the physical pain, torture, and suffering he had to go through in order to make peace on our behalf. See, what has happened is that we have severed, difficult, arduous relationships in our life. And I can be the first to attest that this last week, I had to, man, encounter one of those relationships, and it was odd and awkward and uncomfortable, and, and it was hard, and, and I'm just like, man, God, why do we have these kinds of relationships in our life? Why is there so much tension? Like, the gears are turning, but there's no harmony being made. You see, much of the same way, God is perfect and we are not. God created us for relationship, and we reject and rebel against him. As a result, our relationship with God is severed, and it needs to be reconciled. There needs to be peace that is made. You see, we live a life full of sin, and sin is anything outside the will of God, and anything outside the will of God declares war on him. And so we have these unreconciled relationships with God that needs to be mended. So what does he do? You see, God loves you and I enough. He, he loves his creation enough that he sends Jesus to pay a debt we could not pay. You see, Jesus lives a life we can't live to give us, to pay a debt we cannot pay so that we can have a gift that we don't deserve. That is how much God loves you. And that's why we keep talking about Jesus. This is why he's a big deal. He's taking everything that you've ever done to, to cause friction in the relationship between you and God and saying, hey, it's taken care of, it's done. He's saying, I want you to have peace with me and the Father so that one day you can enter into eternity and we can spend it together. You see, I was, I was nine years old um, when I realized that Man, I, I thought because I listened to Christian music, I went to church, my parents were saved, I, I read my Bible and prayed every now and again that I was all right with God, that I, I had peace with him. But man, at nine years old, God opened up this whole world to me that I didn't know that, hey, you still have sin in your life that's not dealt with, and if you give it to me, I can take care of it. I sat down and talked to my dad, and my dad said, hey, it starts with acknowledging that you're a sinner and that Jesus alone is your savior. It is acknowledging that either he will pay for your debt or one day you will pay for it. Our world today likes to throw us a lot of alternative fuels. They like to, they like to promise big and underdeliver. Say, hey, 
just do this one thing, follow this one person, you know, be this person in your workplace, have this kind of family, and it's going to bring you love, joy, and fulfillment beyond your wildest dreams. And every time, yeah, it might bring you joy for a moment, but every time, if you look deep down inside, man, it under delivers and you know it. And we'll buy the lie again and again and again. And, and we'll never value how good it is for us when we turn to Jesus. It brings me to my last point. We're going to go to verse 21. It says that this includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by evil thoughts and actions. Paul's saying that, hey, this is the before and after picture of who you were when you met Jesus. He said, you were once separated. And then he goes on in verse 22 to say, yet now he has reconciled you to himself. He's saying he's made peace with you. You are in right standing with God. So through the death of Christ and his physical body, that's what we just talked about, as a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Listen, last point is this. Jesus is the only savior. There are no alternative fuels. There are no substitutes for what Jesus can put into your life. Before Jesus, you were far from God. Your your mind was corrupt and, and you thought hostile things. And that led to a problem in your heart. And, and it said that, man, I don't want anything to do with that. I don't want to be a part of that. It's saying, God, why don't you take your laws and then change them for my benefit? We all have this small attorney inside of us that's just ready to fight our case against God at, at any moment. And it leads to a problem with our hands. We do evil deeds. The way we treat people, the way we act, the, the way we handle our money is outside of God's will. But then he's saying, if you'll go back to the verse, he's saying, this was you before you met Jesus, and then after he made peace with you. He brings you in and you are holy. You're made perfect like God is perfect. He's saying that your heart doesn't, he's saying that your head doesn't think evil thoughts anymore. What you once hated, you now love. You love spending time with God. And what you once loved, you now hate. It changes your heart, changes who you are. You love God. You want to be with him. You want to know him. You want other people to find him because of what he's done in your life. You realize that there was an alternative fuel that you've been missing out on, and you want everybody else to have the same thing. And it, and it changes your hands, how we treat people, how we conduct ourselves in relationships, how I, how I show myself in my workplace, how I am with, with my girlfriend or how you are with your spouse, it changes everything. You see, Paul's pointing out here how we had a head, heart, and hand problem. And he's saying, hey, listen, if you'll let Jesus come into your life, if you'll let him, him come in and fill you up, if you'll, if you'll take some of that premium fuel and apply it to your life, look, he's gonna leave you feeling loved, fulfilled, and cared for more than anything else in your life. And he is gonna change your head, your heart, and your hands. So if we'll go back to the verse, yeah, verse 23 says, but you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift. 
Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news, he's been pre- the good news has been preached all over the world. And I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. Look, this last section here, Paul's just saying this. Evaluate where you're at today. Let us, let us take a look at ourselves and, and say, hey, you know, it, it doesn't matter that I just say, Jesus, you're, you're my savior. Jesus, I acknowledge my sin today. It matters today, tomorrow, the day after that, the day after that, all the way until we meet Jesus. I'm gonna invite Daniel to come up and, and play as I close out here. Listen, if you have not made peace with God, if you have not had a relationship with him, I wanna invite you into a moment where you can do that right now. If you will take the time and say, hey man, I've been using substitutes in my life. I've been letting, letting alternative fuels run my life for far too long. And if you're ready to, to hand that over to God, man, I wanna encourage you to do that today. Man, you might be sitting there and you're saying, hey, I've had this problem in my life for forever that I have not had a way to deal with it properly. Listen, God wants to hold it for you but he won't take it, you have to give it. And it starts with you acknowledging that there is a separation between you and him. You and he alone is the savior. He is the only fuel source. It's acknowledging that either he pays the debt or you pay it. Now, I know that there's other of us out there tonight, um, today, that, man, we have a relationship with God, but we just haven't been refilled refilling the tank as often as we should. You're constantly filling your tank, you know, with other things and and substitutes here and there, but man, God wants you to be filled every day with him. He wants your day to start with him, to to go on throughout your day with him and to end it with him. He's saying your tank needs to be topped off 24 seven with the love of Jesus. Here's what I'm gonna challenge you guys with this week. We're talking about a big Jesus for life's big problems. If you will fill your tank this week with Jesus, I want you to see how radically different your life is. Here's what we're gonna do. In order for us to change our behavior, we have to change the way we think, right? So this week, we're gonna do the next five days, Monday to Friday. Get up, however, however, long it takes you to get ready, get, get up early enough to spend 15 minutes in prayer with God, but you're not going to do it by yourself. You're going to find somebody that you can get up in the morning with and spend 15 minutes together with God. You are gonna, you're going to give your day over to him. You're going to let him fill your tank together. Man, maybe, maybe come with, a, with one of your favorite Bible verses and pray, for, pray through that. Maybe if you don't know what to pray or how to pray, just ask. Man, but I wanted to challenge you to do that. We all have somebody that we can pray with. If it's gotta be over the phone, if it's gotta be in person, whatever it takes, five days this week, get up early and fill your tank with Jesus. Thank you guys for being here. Let me pray for you. God, I, I appreciate and just am so grateful for who you are, who you've made um, us to be in and your son. We thank you for the sacrifice that you've given through him. 
and we see you and we want to know you, God, more and more every day. Thank you for everybody here that has joined. We love you. Amen.